the simple local websites that earn $1,000 a month each. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, part of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network, because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. In 2021, we aired an episode called Rank and Rent, and it was one of the most popular episodes of the year. And a 15-second summary of that side hustle is you create a website for a local service business like Dallas Carpet Cleaning, as I think the example we talked about. You get it ranking well in Google, and then you rent it out to a qualified local service provider that is hungry for more leads. Now, today's guest is a Side Hustle Show listener who heard that episode and took action on it in a big way. Since then, she's built out 45 of these local sites that once they have a tenant in place, so to speak, earn an average of $1,000 to $1,500 per site per month from blackbirdseo.com. Meow Rios, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks, Nick. For having me here. I am excited for this one. Stick around. We're talking niche and location selection for this rank and rent business. We're talking Meow's local SEO process and uh, how to find reliable suppliers because after all, those are the businesses that are paying the rent here. Now, your listener only bonus for this week is a list of 25 niches that could be ripe for rank and rent. You can download that for free at the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash meow. It's M-I-A-O. Yes. Or just follow... Yes, is that right? Yeah. Yes, okay. M-I-A-O. Or just follow the link in the episode description and you'll get right over there. So... Where I want to start is, so you, you hear this episode with Luke Vanderveer, I think it's 448, Rank and Rent, and you say, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. So three months in, this is crazy, your site, first or second local site starts to gain some visibility, and this local government reaches out and say, hey, we need you to bid on this project. <laughs> Can you talk about what happens now? Yeah, well, that was a kind of a surreal experience and that was a three month in one after I built a site and yeah like one day I've just got a quote request saying that hey you're invited to this government tender project is demolish a building of a school yeah that was at the Ministry of Education so when I got this request I was like I have no idea how to even start the tender process. I don't know what to prepare. It just seems too big to do it. Yeah, you don't have a demolition company. No, I don't. I don't have on your laptop halfway around the world. I know. I just built this site. So I reach out to Luke and I say, hey, look, I've got this lead. What should I do? Should I just leave it? Like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So Luke said, wow, you should go for it. I just got some sort of a confirmation, the confidence, maybe I should give it a go. So what I did is I reached out to a local contractor that, of course, is fully qualified. We actually probably spoken on the phone before, so and he's all in on this project. And he did mention that maybe the chance of success is not that high, but we will give it a go. So I just actually, my English is actually not my first language, so my writing sucks. Imagine me <laughs> submitting the government tender. So I have to hire someone, ask my VA to help me out to sort of tidy up all the document, lots of like safety or the thing. Like a, a kind of a formal process. Formal, to, yeah. yeah. It's very tedious. Having said that, I got it done and we submitted the application. And three months later, one day, just out of the blue and a bone, I received the email saying that, well, congratulations, you are the successful bidder for the school project for the Ministry of Education. Wow. And, yeah. And of course, we did finish that project. I think for that particular lead, I got paid for over $5,000 just for that. Yeah, that's really a cool story of like creating something out of nothing and really a win-win for everybody because this company now got this big job that big enough that they were able to pay you a $5,000 commission for sending them that lead. Now, is it typical to structure it as kind of like on a commission basis, you know, we'll pay you a percentage of the total billing or a flat fee based on whatever work we book? Or I think what Luke was describing was more like, look, 500, 1,000, 1,500 bucks a month. Like we'll just send you all the leads that we get through the site just to make it like easier, more consistent and like not have to track on a performance yeah. basis, all this stuff. Yeah. So I do both. I prefer the flat fee. So actually majority of my website that I do a flat fee deal, it's just so much easier. There's no tracking. There's only a few sites I do commission. One is the demolition. Only because it's high ticket 
because each job could be over 100K per lead. And sometimes the sales cycle are super long because imagine if you have, have to demolish a building and that involves like console consent, disconnection of the service. It's just very, sometimes we can complete a job that the leads actually came in last year. So, and that's how long the sales cycle can be. So usually it's a lower volume, but higher ticket. So for that particular niche, I do the commission base. But the rest, absolutely, I do flat fee. It's just so much easier. Okay. Yeah, this is similar to, we did uh, an episode with Link Moser, who was doing high-end lead generation for real estate agents. And the drawback was you had to have a real estate license to be able to legally earn a commission on those referrals. But it was similar, like, hey, I don't need to do a ton of these because one multi-million dollar property could be worth you know, $40,000, $50,000 in commission. But this is a way to kind of broaden that idea and no real estate license required. So it sounds like you like the demolition niche, something I never would have considered. What makes a good niche for the rank and rent model? I like something that's service-based that you don't have a storefront. Basically like a plumber, the concrete guy or roofer, you go to the client site to work. So it's not that people come into your office. So service-based business, The second one is I really like those high ticket type of work, like concrete, driveways, patios, earthwork, demolition, roofing, nothing sexy, nothing sexy, but those niche work, they work. And that's because the value of these jobs is worth quite a bit to the service provider. And so they're just like, if we can get more leads in, if we can book up our calendar, then yeah, it's worthwhile. We'll just add this to our monthly marketing budget. Yeah, exactly. I've done the smaller niche, like handyman. I probably would not do handyman again. Having said that, I have a handyman side that's producing lots of lots of leads and business has been with me since the beginning when I started business. So, and sometimes like a smaller niche, like a gutter cleaning can be good because it's high volume. So you get like a 60 to 90 leads per month. But the thing with gutter cleaning is, Sometimes it's a, you start a job with gutter cleaning and you find out the gutter needs a repair, the roof needs a repair, the roof needs repaint. So a small job can turn into a bigger job. You just never know. So but my personal favorite is still a bigger ticket niche. Do you like to go deep in one location or deep in one niche? Or like it's really a matter of like trying to find the sweet spot of, I'm going to do carpet cleaning in Dallas, and then I'm going to build out all these other niches for Dallas, or I'm going to go do carpet cleaning in 100 different cities. There's two ways to tackle this. So if it's a big city, like with a population of a million and above, I like to go either niche down. So for example, if it's concrete, I don't do all concrete. I just specialize a certain type of concrete, either as a stamped concrete or concrete resurfacing or concrete driveway. So you have to be the specialist in the service that you provide. I found you get a lot more success than just do something every general in the big city. Now, Okay, the bigger the city, the more niche down. Yeah, so niche down for the big city. And if it's a big city, also you can, let's say for New York City, it's just too big. So you have to niche down to a different borough, so like Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens, Long Island. So... Yeah, either niche down to the specialized area or niche down to the local area. So that's a general rule. I found anything above 50K should work, the population-wise. I'm talking about 400K population-wise seems to be a very sweet spot. So it's not too big city. Your local competition is not that strong and you have enough volume. The population produce enough leads, enough search volume that, is going to help you to rent the site out. Okay, cool. And I, I swear I was on Wikipedia at one point. Like, here's a list of cities with population, you know, 100,000 to 250,000. Or you could probably just ask ChatGPT at this point. Like, come up with this list for me. And there's a potential starting point. Anything else that goes? So I'm trying to cross-reference these cities. Am I looking at the local competition yet? Or am I... Yes, One thing I'm doing, I'll just actually give you an example that just shows you the initial research. Sometimes it's not about 
what you provide is has to be good enough is about your competition. So I'll give you an example of two sites I've built. One is a that's in Wellington, the capital city in New Zealand. On the data shows that the landscaping business has a huge demand, very high volume. The keyword difficulty is medium. So you have the local competition. So I thought, given that how much demand, I'm going to build a site for landscaping. A few months down the track, the site is ranking. However, the quality of leads and the number of leads are not great. So we're still producing the leads, but it's just not ideal. So what I did is I built a specialized. So I work at this landscaping company, and they do all the paving, concrete. Artificial grass, retaining wood, everything. And then what we did is we found the concrete driveway in the local area. There's no company just do a concrete driveway. There's a lot of、uh, landscaping company. There's a lot of a、uh, concrete company. Just does a very general, general contractor. But no company does concrete driveway. So I built a site for concrete driveway in Wellington, and that site blew up. It's completely blew up. So what happens is this contractor. If a client wants a concrete driveway down in front of the house, sometimes they gotta do the backyard. They need retaining work again. They need paving work again. So it's finding the right market to get into, therefore dominate. So you are still providing the same service. However, it is extremely important to actually pick the niche that with very little competition. Interesting. So it was the landscaping company that was doing the driveways. Yes, so that's the same. It's the same company. The local landscaping company. There are a few big ones that have a good name, so they dominate the market. So it's very hard for someone small to medium business to just get into the the market because when people think about landscaping, there's a big name out there. But if you change your arena to the concrete driveway, well, no company is doing that, like specializing that. So it's just really easy to get into, and you ended up getting all the landscaping work, but through the right channel. That's really interesting. Trying to find that back door, that side door, into the place. Like we, it's maybe it's number six on our menu of service offerings. But if I'm trying to rank for general landscaping, it's really tough. But if I try and rank for concrete driveways, okay, paving, yeah, a different, just yeah, okay, specialized niche, yeah. More with Meow in just a moment, including the tools she's using to evaluate the search competitiveness of a market and her local SEO ranking process. Right after this. Hey, entrepreneurs! We know that anyone with a side hustle loves finding new ways to save. So, if your business takes you on the road, sign up for a free membership with Hertz Business Rewards. Work trips, client meetings, industry conferences with Hertz Business Rewards—you'll save at least twenty percent every time you rent a car, and you'll save on more than just the daily rate. Members earn credits redeemable towards free rental days. It's also free to add an additional driver if any additional coworkers come along. And for those Gen Z entrepreneurs out there, no young renter fees. Plus, sign up for Hertz Business Rewards today and earn three times credits during your first ninety days. So, whether you're traveling for a side hustle or a main hustle, join for free at Hertz.com/businessrewards. Applies to base rate, taxes, fees, and options excluded. Additional terms and exclusions apply. Visit Hertz.com/businessrewards to learn more. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And ninety-three percent of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/sidehustleshow. Just go to Indeed.com/sidehustleshow right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/sidehustleshow. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are there any tools or metrics that you're using to kind of quantify that level of local competition? 
I use two tools. So I use SEM Rush. So I was looking at the keyword difficulty. Even though the on the data saying anything above twenty, it is still rankable and it's still doable. It's super like a moderate. But I don't like to go to those niche because if I'm gonna spend the same amount of time and money, I want to go for the easy target. So under under twenty on the under metric. Under twenty, yeah, under twenty. Is there a minimum search volume that you're looking at? Yep, I will look at the combined search volume to be 150 and above, at least 100 above. So let's say if it's bigger ticket niche like a demolition, then I think 100 is enough. But for a small ticket niche, and I will looking at higher volume, probably 200. But maybe okay. 150 combined keyword volume is a criteria. That's surprisingly low to me. Like, oh, only 100 people are searching for this every month. But if the jobs are $100,000, like they're searching for it, like a pretty well-qualified lead if it does come through. So that does make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. You don't actually need that much of search volume for a bigger ticket. Yeah. And maybe yeah. companies are ignoring it because it is low volume. And I'm telling you, the Wellington, the concrete driver company, Wellington, sometimes the search volume is not really reliable especially in a smaller country, maybe in the U.S. is more accurate. That Wellington concrete driveway, there's only 30 search volume. It's extremely low, but sometimes you just have to use your intuition, like looking at the city's population. Yeah, it's impossible to have that low volume and something's wrong. So just do it anyway. So Yeah, there's value of ranking at the top of Google in whatever small niche it is, whatever small city it is. Like if you can get to the top, good things can happen. And so that's kind of the next phase of this conversation is like, okay, I find the niche and city and competitiveness combination that looks attractive. And then what happens next in terms of securing a domain and like building out that site? So we were talking about the keyword research and knowing your local competition. I believe that's the most important step. So I don't actually give this job to VA. I actually do this research part myself. The rest is pretty streamlined. So the next is you find a domain that is the most, I prefer to use the domain name that contains the keyword. So whatever the niche you're doing, if it's roofing, you would have the roofer or roofing, those keywords in your domain. So it's more of like a partial match of the niche you're doing so you find your domain and the city name too or just the the service yeah absolutely i make sure all the domain name contains the city name and the niche name and i got to imagine for a lot of smaller towns those domains may be more readily available or maybe they're cheaper on the secondhand market versus new york roofing or something like that i gotta imagine that's like super premium already claimed but it's like wellington nz concrete driveways.com like probably available for 10 bucks or whatever. Yep. I'm surprised because every time when I'm um, using that domain, trying to search for domain and it's always available and I was shocked. Why not? Yeah. That like never happens. Like all the domains I want are already taken. So that's a cool element of this niche or of this side hustle. Yeah. But the original country level um, domain is easier to get. Okay. So what happens next? Next, you get domain and I use WordPress. I felt WordPress is easy. I started with the Weebly. But when I decided to scale and I switched to the WordPress, I use a template and then you just upload the template, swap all the content, find the photos. Don't get any photos from Google because those photos are not maybe have a copyright. So I make sure all the photos are either purchased from a photo stock website or they are copyright free. And then you build a site, I contract all the building part to my VA and she's really, really good. So she actually taking care of the building process. So you build a site and after that you create all the social media like Facebook, building the citation and just start a ranking process. And I do have the people that help me with the link building, making the blog comments, building the backlinks. That's all the technical part. All right. Well, let's unpack each of those steps because there's a lot there. On the content side, so your VA is building out the content side. Like these are the services we provide. Like this is about the company. What do you put on this page when realistically there's no company behind it yet? Okay. Yeah. What I do, actually, that's what I learned from Luke. I did not create this process. I just follow someone that's already had the result and start doing it. Now, in terms of content, I would basically found out all the local, like I would put a keyword in um, for that business and the city's name and collect the top 10 competitors 
that's already ranking well. And I pull the data into SEMrush and then get all the keywords in. Then you analyze it. For example, let's say stamped concrete or roof repair has very good search volume. And I will put that in as one of the service provide. So we create a content, not it's work out better that way. So I found lots of business, they like to write about how good they are, what they provide, but without knowing the market. So what we do here is we research the market, find out the service that's really highly in demand, people need it, therefore pick the one and throw to the website. And yeah, and then your website literally become a Wikipedia of everything people need to know about that business. Okay, so if I'm understanding this, it's looking at plugging my top five or 10 competitors into an SEO tool to see what content of theirs is already ranking. And like, what have they created content around? And then just trying to match that, like doing the same or better to build out this site. Yeah, and it's about finding the service that people are interested and lots of people searching for and have a relatively low difficulty to rank and throw all the business onto your site. Because you can say, okay, this competitor have uh, offer a few services, but don't, not others. But the other competitor has a certain service that this one doesn't provide. So your site become the Wikipedia, like your website become the one-stop shop for everything okay. that people are looking for. Therefore, whatever they search, come to your site. Do you have to like skip the about page or like we're a third generation family owned company and here's the picture of me and my dad and we run this thing and like the, you have to kind of leave all that stuff blank for the time. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I don't like to provide light. Like you can say you're like a family, local family. You can say you're a locally owned business, but personally, I don't want to put any information that's false. So sure. I like to keep the website pretty generic unless I found a local contractor to work with and we can tailor make the content to be more specific to that business, writing a story. Because a story, a personal branding always works better than generic content. But just to start with, something very generic would work. Yeah. And is there a call to action on the site? Book a quote, contact us now, You know, call this toll-free number. Like what happens when somebody lands on the site? So very big call to action. So that's the whole point, right? You want to convert the clients whoever click into your website. So big numbers. So numbers on the top, and I want to make sure every page, because they may search you from, they may found you from a service page, not your homepage. So every page would contain a quote request form. So it's easy for the potential clients to just send an inquiry to us. So definitely quote form, call to action, numbers, make sure every page have that so people can contact you. What do you use for the phone numbers and or the phone answering? There's lots of phone company provider service. So I use Twilio and lots of people use Corel. I think there are just so many company provide that service. You can get a virtual phone number and then just using that. And I would uh, program the phone number and with a bit of a sort of a welcome to the business and press one to connect or press one for a roofer. Yeah, you can program and make it looks at least present like a real business. Okay, so you have a, like a virtual answering service would say, Concrete Driveways, Wellington, how may I help you? Or how may I direct your call or something? Yeah, so I just programmed the welcome message. In the beginning, I answered the phone call. So I just pretend I'm the office lady. I'm the reception. Okay, and so you can, you, but you can tell like what site because it's got to be probably a different phone number for yes. all these different sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, now I got it. Yes, there's a functionality that you can set up what we call a whisper message. So if I get a phone call, I would hear a little whisper message saying new leads from Wellington. Oh, so okay, okay. So you know how to answer the phone. Okay. Otherwise, with a 40 site, I have no idea where is this caller coming from. But yeah, you can identify where is the caller coming from. Everything's tracked, recorded. It's easy. Okay. And then you have to become a very good actor or actress in saying, my guy who does our bids is out right now. Let me get back to you. Or sorry, we're booked up on that date. But so you kind of have a critical mass. Then you got to go find 
a service provider or supplier to go out and fulfill the work. Yeah, sometimes it's adrenaline rush. So like people are calling, oh, I've got this urgent job. Like for example, tree. I have a few trees that, yeah, they need someone doing the job urgently. So I immediately have to drop everything I was doing and look for trying to find a contract that can provide this work. It's fun. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, because you don't want to get a bad review. Like, I oh, this, know. this person blew me off or they weren't yep. available. Yep. It's so easy, actually. Yeah, people write bad reviews these days. More with Meow in just a moment, including her surprising link building strategy and how she connects with reputable suppliers for these services, the would-be tenants for these rank and rent sites, right after this. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you... I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash, it's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Okay. I do want to circle back to the finding reputable, reliable, qualified suppliers in a second. But going back to the SEO process, we're talking about building out first this library of content, becoming the go-to authority in the space by going broader than anybody else in the niche. Next thing you mentioned was creating social handles and citations. Can you explain what that is, how that works? Yeah. So if you can, so every site I would have a Facebook page. I think in New Zealand, it's slightly different, but in the US, you want to create all the citations like Yelp or Google My Business and lots of uh, like a business directories. So that would help with the ranking because you are telling the internet that your site is legit, like you're operating and you've got lots of uh, social signals from a different site that's supporting that and therefore build a local relevance and trust authority. So that's the best thing I do for every site. But going down a little bit deeper is to rank. So it's the backlinks. That's the part that I personally really hate doing because it's super, super tedious and time-consuming. Yeah, you have to outreach. I know. Who wants to just randomly link to a no. concrete driveway site, you know? No, that's the thing. And like you have to outreach to the different like a blogs and business. I think that's the hardest part. There's so many people out there saying that they can do it. I hired probably 10 different people a claim that they know how to do this, but they really have no idea and not producing any results. So finally, I had a few. Yeah, it took me a long time to find them. But once you find them, they know exactly what to do that will help your website to rank. Are there uh, one or two link building tactics that you're finding effective today? Yeah, I like blog comments because it's a really, fun. yeah. Twenty twenty four, we're talking blog comment. Like, is yeah, this is I, this for real? <laughs> yes, 
Yeah, and who still read the blogs? But lots of blogs still have a very high authority. Okay. Yeah, they've been. You know, it's probably like no follow because it's user generated content. Like that still has some weight. Or still has some value. Yeah, yeah, and usually they're free. The key is you want to make sure that your comments are not spammy. So yeah, it's actually relevant to what they blogged about and write about your opinion or your suggestions. Yeah, and usually if you do that. The comments actually will stay. It's just one of the easiest way to build a backlinks. All right, that's surprising. Yeah. But and what free. else have you got? <laughs> yes, and free. Yeah, and then attach your business at the end. Therefore, you get the link. All right. Anything else on the link building side that's working today? That's actually my favorite. So I do lots of blog comments, but the thing is, the key things you want to have variation of the keyword or what we call anchor text. You can't have the same anchor text. That's not enough. So you kind of want to. Have variation. For example, if it's concrete driveway in Auckland, I would say Auckland concrete or concrete contractors or just some URL, random URL. You really want to keep like under the like name field because that's yeah, what will end field. up being linked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep it a little bit random rather than just completely like a exact match of your business. Okay. All right. That's really surprising that that's effective, work. but yeah. Still works. I want to go back to the Google My Business things for a while. I don't know if they still do, but like they, you had to mail a postcard to this physical address to verify you were who you said you were and you were doing business at this location. Is that still a thing or how do you get around that? Yeah, that's the part. I think Google actually made it so much more difficult for people that's doing recurrent because it's a lot harder. So in the old days, we just need to find an address and the Google will mail you the postcard and your Google business profile become live. Now, Google does lots of video verification. That's the part when, especially in the first stage, you don't have any contractor to work with, so you can't really create a video. And especially the niche I'm doing, lots of them are like a, in a, like a hardcore, like an excavation or concrete. Sometimes you have to show the, the tools, the vans. I don't have them. So I think it's definitely got a lot more difficult to create a business profile. Having said that, that has not stopped me ranking the site because you still got the organic search result and that brings lots of business. And what I do is after the site is already producing the leads and I find a local contractor to work with and I can work with them to create a Google business profile with the real business name and everything. And that would work. Okay, got it. Yeah, so you, you may not be able to get that early on. No, so it's just the orders changed. Yeah. Okay. On the link building front, episode 534 was with Jeremy Poland, a really popular episode. They got great feedback on some creative link building strategies in that one. So if you're wondering what to listen to next, you can go check that one out. That's really fascinating stuff. Like I'm going to forego kind of the map listing, but like even just with the organic text-based listings in Google, like that could be enough. But now you got to go out and find a supplier. Here's what I found. It's like the service provider's that are any good, they're not necessarily hungry for business. They're like, dude, we're booking a month out. Like, ah, you get in line. We've raised our rates. They're not necessarily hurting for leads. And if you're trying to now cross-reference this with an area that's low competition, Mm -hmm. it's like, are there enough players in that space to even pay you and like would do a good job if they went out to a customer site? Like this is like the other piece of the puzzle is like finding somebody to go fulfill the work. I have to say that all the technical side building ranking to the number one right now, this is because we know all the process. We know exactly how to get it on top. This is the easiest part. The hardest part is actually finding the business that's a right fit. Like you said, if a business already very established, yeah, they don't need your leads. They are booked up six months in advance. And those ones that's like the cowboys doing a bad job, they may be hungry for a job, but they're not the right person that you need to partner with. Right, right. It is tricky. I have to say not every niche and location, you can find the right fit. And that takes a lot of trial and error. That's why going back to, I personally like the city that's, 400k above that because you have enough business to test out okay they'll have enough different players yeah yeah 
And especially, I think in the US, the situation is slightly better. But in Australia and New Zealand, there's a, such a shortage of labor. I think it's true everywhere. Like just fewer people going into the trades. Yeah. I was just talking to a business owner yesterday. He's in a roof painting business. He wants to scale the business. He wants to hire like a seven new guys. Ended up those younger guys, they're just not reliable. And he have to sort of make sure he's not grow the business so fast because just you can't find a reliable person to do the work. But the thing is, once you find the right one, it just worked perfectly. I literally was interviewing a business owner yesterday. He was the gutter cleaning business in Auckland. It's a matter of finding the right business that provides a good job, but not yet be the expert in marketing. And you actually help them grow. I'm like, I get lots of joy out of this. So he was saying before using our service, and he has to compete with other competitors with the price. So he is immigrant. He's Chinese. He works really hard. His potential customers are in the Chinese community. But since he's using the site, like all of a sudden, he's got people from everywhere requesting a service. Because he actually provided very good service. So he's now not only has to chase for the service, but the clients find him and he raised the profit margin to 20%. Therefore, he can provide a better service to the clients. Yeah, and he makes more money and he can grow the business. So I think it's a matter of finding, you will find a contractor that's a perfect match. And also I have, I think, one of my concrete site, I found this contractor i've been working with this guy since the beginning he does amazing concrete work so all the reviews that he complete like the customer post the pictures very super happy with the result but he was working for a bigger company before and not getting paid that much but he has amazing skills and he treat like a good customer good manner it's the right match once you find a person and you are helping them so much. And of course, they're helping me as well grow my business. I think it's definitely the win-win situation if you find the right person. It sounds like it's a matter of finding that person who maybe is, or that company that's maybe early in their business. They know the skill, they know how to provide the service, and they have good reviews from whatever business they've been able to get, but just don't have the time, energy, or expertise to do the marketing side of things. And it's like, okay, if we could just get more people in the front door and more people in the top of the funnel, like we could do really well. And so that's where they turn to a service like yours. And so what is that outreach pitch like, or maybe like the tree example, like I got a hot lead on the line. I got to go find a service provider. And it's like, do you want this lead? Do you, I got more where this came from. How do you set up that initial outreach and kind of explain what it is that you do and how much it costs and, and all of that? It sounds very scary in the beginning. So you just cold calling people. But what I realized is I've got the leads on hand. It's very hard for the business saying, well, I've got a tree removal job. Um, do you want it? It's very hard for them to say, no, we don't want it. If you get that answer, which means this business is really doing well, they don't need your leads. So most of the business will say, actually, yes. I think it makes the conversation or the cold call so much easier when you get something in hand, some value to offer. And I usually would send them a few free leads as a good faith. And I don't want to ask for any money or anything. I want them to test out, see this is working for them. If they make money and they like the leads, they know the leads are real, they are generally more open to have a conversation with you. Like, do you want to continue to get the leads? And then I invite them to the Zoom meeting to explain to them exactly what I do and how is the fee or the structure of the deal works with everything. Okay. It's like the free samples at Costco. Hey, you had a taste. Now, if you want the whole pack, yeah, you like it. yeah buy more or sign up for the monthly package. And I tend to not talking about, like, I'm not worry about whether I am have to make money from the business. I can even maybe um, send them a few more. Like I'm not super clean on the, on the money part. I think to me, finding the right business, the right partner is, is the most important thing. Having the trial period, sending the leads to them, it is also an opportunity for me to know how they handle the customer. Are they the right fit? So it's not that they choose me, it's I have to choose them as well. It's a matter of finding the right fit for both sides. 
Right. And because ideally you want somebody where it becomes hopefully more hands off where it's just like, yeah, they just, you're on auto pay for your thousand dollars a month. And like the phone now directly rings their phone so they can handle it and you don't have to be involved. I imagine if everybody is happy in that relationship, that could be a really sticky customer. I know you've been at it for two and a half years. Like, do you have a sense of how long a service provider sticks around or like is churn a thing here? I have to say majority, probably 80% of my customer, they've been with me since the beginning. I started a business and they never like, because if you provide so much value, why they would stop. However, the churn does happen. So I had a business, they actually just got a few big commercial job. And they want to focus on that. And I said, like, good on you. Glad that it can help you get big jobs and help you grow. I'm happy for them. And I don't do any like contract or anything just month by month because I feel if I'm not providing value, they don't find the value of my service. Why I have to pin them down is it, just not how I believe the relationship would work. What do you use for the payment processing or the recurring billing? Stripe makes everything so much easier. Do you ever get the feedback or maybe the customers would be, or the, the service providers would maybe be on the receiving end? Like, would they show up wearing the polo shirt that says like their pre-existing company brand name, but like, well, the website said something else. Like, does that mismatch ever happen? I would tell the business owner in advance that may happen. So what I tell them to do is when they answer the phone or when they return in the customer's phone call, you say something more generic, like, for example, New York City Roofing, so it's not really branded name. Or they answer the phone call with, yeah, something really generic because when people are calling you, they expect the same name that they're calling the website on. But then when they set up the estimation ready to send an invoice and the contractor can actually explain to the business that the website they contact is their marketing site or they can say, this is our company and that I'm in partnership with the legion site. Usually if you're providing good service and build a trust, people don't really care. Yeah, it's really weird that people say, oh, that's not going to work for me. This is a deal breaker. I have not come across with that situation. Yeah, we had kind of a similar conversation with Johnny Robinson, who had this window cleaning business largely built on the back of subcontractors. And the feedback was like, well, dude, you're going to trash your reputation. Like you're going to show up like wearing their own window cleaning company, not orange window cleaning. And it's like so much of your reputation happens online now. It's the booking experience. It's the website experience. It's the reviews that you have. If they show up and do a good job, I don't care what shirt they're wearing. I don't care what their truck wrap says. Like, as long as they do a good work, it doesn't really matter. Since you mentioned that maybe this business model works better in the business that's not so brand driven. Like who cares about who does your window cleaning? doesn't have to be a specific company or name as long as you're doing a good job. So a business like that might be easier, but Let's say maybe if you have a site for orthopedic surgeon that may, I don't know, I haven't tested out that particular niche yet, but I <laughs> imagine it could be a little bit difficult. Yeah. It's yeah, just like I'm, not I'm, so brand You're not going to trust just anybody to uh, slice me up. That makes sense. Is it 100% organic for you? Are you doing anything with paid ads in partnership with larger companies or like, hey, we really want to monopolize more of this page one real estate, anything like that? No. I have tried. So people are doing two different ways. So some people that are not doing ads and therefore it's so much faster to scale your business. Yes, you can do it. I guess there are good and bad side. I think doing ads, you will scale the business faster. However, you really have to be very, very good at sales. I was not in the beginning. So I just go by everything organic. And I feel like I have the time to just take the time to build my site until the site starts to produce the result. But having said that, is paying ads a good idea? I think it, yes, it would work for some people. Yeah, I get, especially on those commission-based jobs where if the service provider is happy paying you a thousand bucks a month just for what you're getting organic, like I guess that would probably be an extra layer of complexity. Like we're also going to manage ads on top of that for an additional fee or you have to work that out. But the reason I ask is we get this... Magazine. I don't have one here. I mean, it looks like a magazine, but it's like the Seattle area homeowner's guide. And there's no content in this thing. It is like just pure ads. And it's like this bathroom renovation specialist or this backyard patio specialist. And 
I'm wondering, a lot of them have kind of like very generic sounding names, or sometimes they have like almost a templatized little, uh, you know, half page ad. It's like, I wonder if these are... Uh, the Legion, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the offline Legion happening uh, as well, if you have these local mailers. So you now you got dozens of these sites running at this point. What's a day in the life look like for you today? Well, the great thing about doing this is you're not limited to the location. I could be in New Zealand. I could be in New York. Last week, I was in LA. I could be in Miami doing this in Australia. So I love traveling. That's the reason I love what I'm doing right now. Are you actively building out new sites? Or is it kind of a matter of like, well, I got to try and rank the ones that aren't quite to page one yet? Like, where does the time go that is spent on work? Yeah, right now, I'm not, since I've already got so many, not as many as I wanted, but I've already got some website. Some site is still a ranking process. So I definitely want to get those sites up to speed and therefore for me to able to rent it out. I feel like I have tested quite different niches and I would like to stick to the niches that I know I would definitely have the success and be able to rent it out. I'm still building a few other sites that's in completely different niche, but those sites that are through my own contact, that they already have the business, they want me to help out with SEO and lead generation process. So I'm not as actively building more sites at the moment, unless the business owner want me to. And this became a full-time thing for you in terms of yeah. full-time income, full-time, like, I don't, I, there, there's no other day job that is expecting you to call in. <laughs> yeah, I was working full-time. I have to say to get it started, it's not easy. Nothing is easy. So I started doing this when I was working full-time and then I really just have to make all the phone calls, replying to customers, doing the lunch break, doing all the studies to this point. I don't have to work a full-time job. That's great. Yeah. Was there a point where you felt comfortable calling it quits? I think when I made enough money to replace my full-time work, that's a point that I feel okay. Yeah, that's a fantastic place to be. I think last year I spent like two and a half months in China, spending time with my mom. I'm Chinese. My mom was like, when are you leaving? Like, you seem like to <laughs> just hang around here. Don't you need to work? Like, you're not, she feel like I'm like a bum. <laughs> and I said, well, mom, actually, I worked really hard to get to this point. That's just funny because she said, oh, before that, you can always visit, have time for like two weeks holiday. Now you're staying for two months and you're still hanging around here. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. It reminds me of, my friend Dustin Heiner has these shirts that say successfully unemployed. And I try and make a, a point to wear that whenever I'm going skiing, like in the middle of the week, like, oh, successfully unemployed. I feel like you would be a, a match for that as well. Anything that's surprised you over the last couple of years of doing this? Definitely. Initially, when I signed up Luke's course, started doing it and I thought, okay, I'm just going to learn all the marketing SEO kind of skills. And that's what I expected in the beginning. To this point, I realized wow, I actually learned so much more than just the technical process. I have learned, yeah, it's just maybe sales, maybe communication, and also hiring because it's impossible to do everything yourself, how to hire people, how to be resourceful, how to solve the problems. And I realized the world is never lack of talent because every time when you actually post a job, an Upwork or some sort of a platform, there's 100 people applying for it. That makes me realize the skill's important, but the most important thing is actually to generate the clients, have the business. Then you can find someone can fulfill the work. The hardest part is to actually create the job and create the clients, have the demand. That actually changed my perspective. Yeah, it feels good to be on the hiring side. Yeah, I feel like there's so much skills that I've learned throughout the way that are way more than just the technical skills. Yeah, that's really cool. What's next for you for Blackbird SEO? What's got you excited these days? I definitely want to grow my company bigger. I do have a big dream. The other things what I realized is I think for the experience for the past few years, I do get a lot of joy out of talking to the business owner, see a business starting from maybe one-man operation, but very honest business that you can see them grow so much. And I do enjoy that process to talking to them. And also, especially for the immigrant 
I'm an immigrant. I went to New Zealand when I was young, and lots of contractors they are immigrant. They don't know how to get a business, and I particularly enjoy to help those people actually how to grow the business, how to actually get. They are not just limited to their own community. They actually open themselves and to the bigger audience, the mainstream client based. That's really fulfilling. Yeah, really rewarding to be able to turn around and help. Like, hey, I, le- I learned this stuff, and now I can help other people go and implement it and make a bigger impact on their own lives and the lives of their customers. I think that's really cool. So again, blackbirdseo.com. You can check me out, out over there. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Just get it started. Thinking about it is not going to get you any result. And take action. Isn't that true? Thinking about it won't get you there, but if you don't think about it, you're probably not going to start it. So make sure to just take some action. So now again, really appreciate you joining me. It's blackbirdseo.com. A couple notes before we wrap up. Number one, I thought was interesting was to think international, like you had some on the ground experience in New Zealand, but like I think a lot of US listeners, US entrepreneurs, like are very focused and to be fair, there's a lot of opportunity here, but hey, maybe it's lower competition somewhere else, or maybe you have maybe you have some connection to a different international market, and that could be an interesting way to go. The other one was to look for those side doors. I thought that was really unique. Like, hey, landscaping was too competitive, but concrete paving or pat or you know driveways was less competitive, even though it was the same. You know, I'm pulling from the same pool of service providers. Like, I thought that was a really interesting way to go to, as a way to kind of shortcut your, your, your tower, just make it an easier road to get to uh, the top of Google on that. And then the third thing was, you know, really the, you know, the meat and potatoes of this business is the long-term partnerships with the service providers. So like doing the vetting and the diligence and being a trusted marketing partner on that front really is what drives this. You want to make it passive. You want to make it hands-off. You have to find somebody who's good at what they do and really understands the value of this relationship. So um, those are my takeaways. Again, your listener-only bonus for this week is that list of 25 rank and rent niches. We probably covered um, half of those. So we'll add, maybe we'll add some more. Maybe we'll uh, up that number. Um, but rank and rent niches to kickstart your research process. You can download that for free at the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash meow, M-I-A-O, or just follow the link in the episode description. You'll get right over there. Big thanks to Mao for sharing her insight. Big thanks to you for supporting the advertisers that help make this content free for everyone. As always, you can hit up sidehustlenation.com slash deals for all the latest offers from our sponsors in one place. That's it for me. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. So fire off a text message or two. Hey, we should totally start this. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.